and welcome, folks, to another edition of Desperately Seeking Entertainment. I'm your host, Chris Peterson. Glad you're joining us this week. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's up, Chris? What's up, people around the interwebs? We're ready to rock this week. We got so much entertainment for you. Put it in your ear. Can't wait, Chris. You know, Thanksgiving is about giving thanks, hanging out with family and friends, but then it's also about sitting around being a lazy sack on a couch and watching tons of movies and stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's get into it. Folks, if this is the first time that you listen to this podcast, what Ben and I like to do, because we are connoisseurs of entertainment in all forms, and so we basically want to bring to this podcast things that we've noticed, watched, listened to, like whatever it is, to this podcast. But I have no idea what Ben has been doing for the past week, and he's got no idea what I'm watching or listening to either. So what you're hearing is a spontaneous, genuine conversation uh, nothing's pre-planned, so you know it leads to some really amazing um, chats. So let's get right into it, my friend. What do you got for us this week? All right, first thing I got to talk about, Chris, is definitely Peter Jackson's Get Back. Oh my the god! Crazy big Beatles documentary. Chris, did you were you able to finish this bastard? So I finished the first episode, which is amazing, and yeah. I can't. I just can't wait for. I'm going to probably watch it as soon as we get off again tonight. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Chris, you know, no spoilers, I guess. No spoilers. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the um, episodes just continue to get more amazing. The the little things that he was able to spice in and create a story out of this footage is just amazing. And now, listen, I am not the biggest Beatles fan. I'm really not, you know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. – um, you know, I, I could probably list maybe like five, six more bands that I like more than them, actually, just okay. on a personal level. But I, I mean, I still know the Beatles. It's not like I'm like, uh, like, <laughs> like it's still the freaking <laughs> Beatles. Um, you know, and that's just total personal, but it's still the Beatles. It's still kind of marvelous to see something that's 50 years old being unearthed. I really think in the history of film, we've never watched something like this where there was footage shot 50 years ago then being edited into a, a feature film now which is really mm-hmm. wild I, I just can't I, I can't even comprehend something like that unless there's like some sort of like photo you know a lot of times like a whole documentary will be comprised over like a 20 second video or like a photo that someone finds but I, just to marvel in this and that Peter Jackson is again a master now Chris have you been watching any of the Colbert interviews with Peter Jackson? No, I haven't. Really cool. So, like, you know, um, what was really neat, Chris, about this documentary was there was no, like, cutting between present tense Beatles or Yoko or whoever it is and then cutting back to the footage. You just got raw footage, which was mm-hmm. just such a bold move by Peter Jackson. Like, it was a bold move, but yet the smart move and the most kind of simple move to go for, but probably the hardest to try to form a story out of this. And, you know, uh, on Colbert, he talked about how the lazy way to approach this would be like a regular documentary, like cut to archival footage of John talking or cut to Paul now and then cut back, you know, it would have been so lazy and it's something that we'd already seen, but we had never seen anything like this. Chris, what were your thoughts? So you're just first episode. What are your thoughts so far? Well, it's, it answers the question of, you know, we, we we always say, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to be a fly on the wall of that session or that rehearsal or whatever it may be? And 
this is the opportunity to do that. I mean, you literally are a fly on the wall watching the Beatles interact with each other in ways that, you know, we really don't, haven't seen before. And you get, you know, the, the candidness, you can see the issues that probably, you know, bubbled under the surface, which led to their breakup. And, um, but then you also see the, the strokes of genius. I mean, not to spoil yeah. anything, but and I won't say which song for those who haven't seen it yet, but like, there's a point probably halfway through where one of their most well-known songs just happens to come to Paul and he's just playing yeah. around his guitar. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, I know where this is going. And he's just trying stuff out. And then all of a sudden that song exists in the universe out of nowhere. And it's just like, this is why they're revered in the way that they are. Um, you know, the songwriting yeah. team of Lennon McCarthy is, is just like, you, you see it firsthand and you also see the roles that, the other bandmates took and um you know I, I i love george harrison in the first episode he's got some stones you know to him so he's he's making his yeah. voice heard you know and that was really awesome to see and um yeah so it's just it's one of those things where it's like it's almost weird because you know where it's going you know what's going to happen you know uh -huh. where they're going to end up um you know where they're going to play end up playing so when you hear like the discussions of where like some of the people that are around them want to do this concert. Like it's just preposterous. <laughs> yeah. Tripoli and surrounded by, you know, oh, we're renting a boat with all the fans, but then we're stuck on the boat with them. Oh my God. It's so funny. <laughs> like, it's just like, Oh my God. Like just go on a roof and play. Um, and so <laughs> it, it was, it's just awesome. And it's, it, I feel like it's, even though we've, we've seen, you know, Beatles movies and you know, the parts of this were in the documentary, let it be. Um, you know, this is, this is unparalleled. We've, we've never seen something like this before, arguably for any band in that, in that regard. So right. it's, it's really like, this is what, if, if you're, and I've said it on Twitter, I said, if you're, if you're a Beatles fan, you're going to love it. If you're just a, a person who has in some way been active in the creative process, you're going to love this because it's all about that. It's all about just guys sitting in a room, brainstorming, playing around with things, trying things out. And it's, it's just, it's awesome. So I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, I'm glad that you, you brought up creative process. I mean, that is probably the highlight of this documentary is, you know, just like you said, that one song comes out of the ether almost from Paul, mm -hmm. like you get a sense that, you know, like most bands, you know, think of your favorite bands and think of like their first two albums, you know, um, and you get a sense that, a lot of the music on their first two albums are comprised of stuff that they had when they were kids, um, stuff that, you know, before they were signed, they were tooling around within their garage or whatever it is. Um, and then they kind of bring that up, polish it up, and then put it on the album. That's how most bands go. And then they kind of trail off, you know, mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. most rock bands, you get um, five solid years, maybe like six or seven albums tops that are like quality. And then that's it. You know, think of like the clash. Think of like bands like that. You know, even the, uh, the Beatles are only around for five years, too. Mm -hmm. And for them to be at this point in their lives, which. Um, so, Chris, do you know how old they are during this? I think they're like what? They're late 20s, early 30s. Not even early 30s. Like so John, John and Ringo are 28. Paul is 27. And then freaking George Harrison's only 25. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, think of what you accomplished at 25. And then think of like forget George Harrison's about to have his own solo career and then just just completed five years with the Beatles and like the most iconic rock music in the world. Like it's just so crazy to put that into scale. 
And that's kind of why he's one of the most quiet voices. I mean, he's the youngest. I mean, and that's such an interesting dynamic to see that at play. Like, George, what's the most interesting about this is you hear a lot of stuff that ends up on their solo albums afterwards. Mm -hmm. You hear a lot of solo George stuff. You hear John Lennon's solo stuff. You hear little bits and pieces. I mean, Paul's always running kind of the show, so you kind of hear always hear wing stuff, and Linda's right there. Um, and then he he mentions, yeah, me and Linda uh, kind of wrote some of this too. So there are little bits and pieces of that too that's just so cool. You hear bits of Abbey Road. You hear bits of Let It Be. It's just wild. And like you were saying, like to see George's role in the band and then to see Ringo's ba- uh, role in the band mm-hmm. is extremely interesting. Okay, like... For me, especially through the first part, there is, um, you know, a, a part. If we're doing a spoiler free review, um, there's a part where there's a big argument, and it looks like some of the Beatles aren't going to return. Um, mm-hmm. But here comes Ringo, just on time every morning, sitting there waiting to play. And say what you will about his contribution to their song catalog, he's always on time, literally, and on the drums. He's mm-hmm. just always sitting there, like waiting for them to start jamming, and he jumps up on that kit and he just starts playing behind them. It's it's almost like he's an integral part. He's a major part of the Beatles itself because without him, like if you were just in a band, and I've been in many bands, and you know someone's noodling around in a car, guitar like most people do, and you're not sitting there like keeping time or like and helping them get a song in their head, like they're just going to give up on it. They're going to like, ah, maybe that chord doesn't work. Ah, screw it. On to the next one. And there's all this great advice for any songwriters out there through this whole pod, uh, through this whole documentary, like um, George goes, you know, um, there's one part where George is like, well, John, you always tell me um, finish what you started, meaning songs, never Mm -hmm. start a song and then go, Oh, I'll get back to that one. He's like, finish what you started as soon as possible. That's what John Lennon's advice is, which is like wild and fascinating. So like, instead of like, that's like totally opposite of what Led Zeppelin would do. Led Zeppelin, um, it said that they had the actual chord progression to Cashmere and they waited like three albums till they could uh, record it well, till they could, he could find his voice, till they could get the words down. And they worked on that for like three years or something like that. Amazing. Um, yeah, just a really interesting approach. So, Chris, if you're a fan of the creative process and all of this, and Chris, so you're only on episode one. My parents are only on episode one. So you have so much more to come. I mean, episode two and three, you need episode one of this three-part documentary. It's, a, it's, it's really funny because we know Peter Jackson, of course, from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you view this this trilogy like his his holy trilogy – um, it plays out the same way. Almost a lot of the same beats are happening in that way. I mean, at the end of Fellowship, it looks pretty, pretty bleak, <laughs> pretty, right. um, you know, Boromir just dies. Spoiler alert, Boromir just dies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the Fellowship has broken off into pieces. And um, that's kind of how you're left in the first part of the dock. Um, right. And... Chris, the beats that are to come with you are just explosive. Chris, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up off air, but I forgot to. Um, it's the end of the year is coming, Chris, and uh, whatever mm-hmm. our podcast next, it's time for our end of the year superlatives. Um, so yes, uh, this is definitely going to be mentioned in my end of the year superlatives. It's hard to beat this 
And and you know what I I'm and and this is being me being like me saying that I'm not the biggest Beatles fan, but I am a Beatles fan. It's hard to not be impressed by this momentous occasion of a movie, like where nothing like this has happened in history. I, I think everyone should take note. And I don't think I'm overstating that. And it's it's so interesting, Chris. Like, Chris, do you know a lot of people that have watched this or no? Not really. I mean, not a lot of people are posting it on um, <laughs> social media. So I'm wondering if it's just they haven't latched onto it yet or maybe it's just the wrong you know, generation that just doesn't link up with social media. Like, maybe this is catching the eye of older people and people that oh, are, you know, true. maybe maybe the youngest is, is really our generation that would be latching on to something like this. Um but it's 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 really interesting, and I you know I, I can't wait to see where it goes. And um, again, you just look at these guys, and you're like, a two of them are gone, and yeah. you know the, the other two are pretty much done performing. Peace and love. Um, peace and love. Peace and peace love. And love. Your but mail will be tossed. Your mail will be tossed <laughs> after the twenty fifth. Um, so it's it, it's just awesome. So I, yeah, no, I can't wait to to dig in and, and get more, but, um, it's, it's just been amazing. So good stuff, man. Yeah. Stuff. I just, I just think, you know, it's, it's really interesting what, you know, we always talk on this podcast about how many outlets of entertainment there are. And I just feel like everyone should stand and take note of this one, you know, not yeah. just like, I don't know. It just seems like people are just kind of scrambling for what is important. And I just right. like, I on, on Thanksgiving personally, I watched this with Katie's mom and, um, and Ryan, uh, Katie's brother-in-law, and we sat there and we watched this. And then, like, but the rest of the people now, it's like, eh. they would check in every once in a while. They they definitely listen to the music, but I don't know. It, it, maybe it was yeah. the length of it or what. I don't know. And my parents are definitely watching, so I I, I feel you too. Maybe just we're the old fuddy duddies in this scenario. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah, dude. I had um, to talk about it. All right, let me take a quick break because my delivery guy just pulled up. So I'll oh, be right. well, are you going to pause the podcast or should I keep talking? Oh, you keep if you want to keep, I'll pause. I'll pause. No, no, no. All right. You, you do you do what you you do you. All right. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll let the audience know what's going on. All right. So so Chris ordered some food. It was delayed. I'm gonna keep pretty low because I was saying if he was murdered by his delivery man, this would be evidence of the murder. Then we have an awesome podcast. Uh oh, I heard a noise. You think you think he's still alive, audience? Hmm. I didn't ask him what he ordered too, but I think this would be a great, that'd be a way to go to die doing your, uh, your craft. <laughs> wow. There's a long pause. He's down in, uh, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. If like, you know, we're being recorded by the feds or anything like that, that'd be, that'd be good. Or Dr. Lee out of Connecticut is like forensic files is here. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> So I thought the Beatles documentary was awesome, but I don't know why people didn't dig into it. Maybe it is long. So I'm going to, I'm going to prep people out there that it is wicked long. It's seven and a half hours long, um, but it's so worth it. So uh, hopefully Chris will be back with us. If not, hopefully the uh, delivery man that killed him knows how to uh, podcast. Cause I can take the recording. That would be even better. If like the uh, podcast became me talking to the murderer of Chris, <laughs> that'd be nuts. <laughs> It is a big city he's living in. So, uh, I don't know. You got the crime. You got uh, all that. It'd be shitty if he actually got murdered and I'm being a little flippant. Be a terrible you googly. 
Chris, are you there? Are you there, Chris? I heard voices. I didn't hear a struggle, though, so I think we're okay. Uh, well, Chris will listen to this back and he'll know when it goes quiet. So, uh, that'll be good. He can cut this last part of it and then he can just jump back in if he's still there, you know, if not, if nothing happens, it's going to be weird. Maybe I should text him, make sure he's okay. Maybe like there's like a code. Like I was just watching Merrick Kingstown. They like did like a cell phone code, like text me when the bad guy like is about to make his move, like hit send, <laughs> like hit send on pizza pie. And then I'll come in blasting. Are you okay? Should I call 911? <laughs> I've never called 911 to another state. You think it's like uh, like an internet situation? Do I have to like Facebook message them or uh, they'll just pick up and send the cops? Because <laughs> it's going to kill me. <laughs> Now that there's no one else on the end of the podcast, I really do feel like the beekeeper kid from it, uh, Wet Hot American Summer talking to himself inside a cabin on the edge of the camp. <laughs> the kid they have to force to take a shower. Where, oh, this might be the murderer. I wonder if my kid took a shower. Either the murderer has some takeout or Chris is back with his takeout. All right, I'm back. Oh, hey, hey, me and the audience, we weren't really worried. I got a little worried there. We thought we heard a struggle. (laughs) I had to go down to the lobby to pick up the food because that's how they do things here. And um, I'm on the third floor and it's got a slow elevator. And yeah, it was a a process. You're going to have to to listen back and see if you want to keep that on air. It was pretty good. (laughs) Okay, good to know. Good to know. Oh, my gosh. I kept it afloat. Me and the audience were here. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. All right. I'll take it. I'll I gave a couple it. notes. I was like, Chris, like, I was like, what if, what if Chris got killed and then the murderer comes back and I finish the podcast with the murderer? <laughs> that would be the most viral podcast of all time, dude. Viral podcast of all time. And I, I love your text, by the way. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the audience and I, well, you know, I was listening to the audience and they said should, you should text you should Chris. Probably check in. Yeah. No, yeah. That's a good idea. That's and a by good the idea. audience, I mean my wall in my basement. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. Oh my god. This is too much. Do you want to um, you want to pause to eat? <laughs> no, no. I'm I'm going to I've got a microwave in here so I'll just heat it back up when I'm when I'm done. So it's Nice. Fine. All I right. Ordered, well, ordered Chris, now that you're alive, <laughs> now that you're alive and kicking, why don't you just with your first story of the night? Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> we're talking about the creative process and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the passing of Stephen Sondheim uh, last week and yeah, um, I knew you were just, good, so, yeah. yeah, no, just, I mean, you know, it's, we're a theater site. So it, it just felt, you know, there's, there's moments and there's passings that we kind of know are coming up and, you know, he was 91. So we kind of knew like, okay, you know, just brace yourself. But at the same time, you figured this guy was going to live forever. Um, 
but it it it's incredibly sad because I mean this is it, it even though he was ninety one it it was really sudden because literally like a week earlier he was out and about going to see shows and theaters and um, you know making his presence known and you know literally over the course of I think it was like forty eight hours like things just turn took a, a really bad turn and uh, and we lost him but um, for those of you who who aren't theater buffs like Ben and I uh, are. I mean, yes. you know, St Stephen Sondheim is is the most important person in American musical theater history. Period. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, I did, yeah. I did a list a while ago where I kind of ranked them, and um, I had the nerve, the nerve of putting Bob Fosse ahead of Sondheim um, as the most important person in American musical theater history, and I I I got it from the audience like people were, i bet you did like they were not I mean, what would be number two i mean fossey and then like irving berlin or something like that like because they used I, a lot of his music or something i or think i put um hammerstein um i put rogers and hammerstein i, yeah. I put them together um yeah. i put I, I, there were a couple performers that were up at the top of the rank i mean if you if you folks want to go see search this it's it's out there it's called the 100 most important people in musical theater history and yeah uh sondheim's number two and i got I got a lot of shit for that, rightfully so, because I don't know what I was thinking. And, you know, really? Ben, what I really appreciate about um, Sondheim and, is, you know, he, he, he's, he was a game changer. I mean, up until he really kind of broke out on the scene in the late 60s, early 70s, um, musical theater was kind of known for being this, you know, musical theater, romantic comedy type of um, reputation. I mean, if you look at just the Tony Awards before he starts going on his run, it's all the same type of show. And then he comes around with right. shows like Sweeney Todd and Company and Follies that just absolutely break the mold of what musical theater writing was at the time. And I think for a lot of us growing up as theater kids, um, you know, yes, we love the Angela and Weber stuff. We love the spectacle. But I mean, if we, if we got serious about our craft and I got serious about the process, I mean, Sondheim is the one that kind of kicked it off all for me. Um, so, yeah, just it's it's just terribly sad. But Ben, I just wanted to get get your thoughts on Sondheim as well. Oh, of course. I mean, Chris. I mean, I'm not a big musical guy, of course, but I'm still a theater kid. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like inside a theater world, if we're like in a room full of theater majors, I'm not a musical guy. Okay, but <laughs> I'm still I'm still a theater kid. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to, yeah, like you were saying, it's it's good to it's great to appreciate spectacle and big musicals like that have like giant like stage productions but when you're a theater kid and you're inside a school even though i went to a big school like maloney that had a theater program and mr kenny was my like orator he was awesome he was great um but it was still a low budget or no budget when we put on productions you know we probably mm -hmm. probably had i don't know like looking back he had the stages and everything that we had bought and we had to set up ourselves but then, like, maybe we had a couple floodlights for, like, the right. straight plays here and there. And a budget of, like, nothing because the costumes were bought and sitting in a closet for 40 years. So a budget of a thrift store every year? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but when it comes to Sondheim, he was able to make you appreciate if you were just in, like, a black box studio or a, a stage – and you had some sides and you had some music and a piano, someone that was like teaching you how to sing, you were off to the races. You mm -hmm. could play make-believe 
You can do some dancing. You know, you didn't have to have like a giant like, you know, you didn't have to have everyone in like cat costumes or something like that to <laughs> do <laughs> right. Like to do the play, you could just do the play. You know, like something like Company or something um, something that's like very basic set design that you can just break out. Um, on stage. It's very neat. Um, I saw a production of Assassins up in Ithaca, which was very low budget, but extremely well acted, extremely like, and you're just, I'm like, what a cool fucking play. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what a cool musical. You're just like, what a neat concept. And then idea to paper. And, you know, speaking of creative process, that's what we're talking about here as far as the Beatles. Like, you know, this podcast should be like entitled, like respecting creative process because um, one thing I always talk about when I teach creative writing is all art is, is you have an idea and you're like, okay, I got this idea for, let's say it's like a, um, an idea from a news story. Like, uh, uh, okay, Chris, random, just random note. Like today, Honduras elected their first female president ever. Okay. Random news story. I heard on the radio on the way to work, rock and roll. It's a real news story. All right. So I have this idea. And it's kind of like a cool idea. Like, all right, is this going to make a cool play? Is this going to make a cool musical? Is this going to make a cool song? Make a cool creative writing piece? Or make a cool painting, right? Mm -hmm. As a creative person, now I have to take this idea and say, okay, which medium will this work in? And he was able, and musicals, similar to movies, incorporate a lot of artwork, right? Song, dance, acting, stage production, and, you know, musical scores and orchestration, it's crazy, like, to incorporate everything into one thing. So, Chris, I mean, Chris, do you have a favorite song or production by him? Oh, man, I knew you were going to go here. Oh. <laughs> hey, listen, I didn't hit you up with favorite Beatles album. I thought that'd be, you know, like a little, like, whatever. That would be too much, but, yeah. man. Favorite yeah. song time. Oh, my God. Um, like, well, or, or just, like, a favorite moment. I mean, I love Into the Woods. Into the Woods is a great freaking play great. that you go see that in a local high school it's great you go yeah. see that in a traveling show it's great you go see it on broadway it's great like that for me the sign of a great musical or play is when you can watch 14 year olds put it on or you know seasoned 20 somethings put it on on broadway mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah i mean for me it, it's probably sunday in the park with george um is mm -hmm. my favorite um is it his best work I don't think it's his best work. I think, I think passion is probably his best start to finish, but um, it, it, Sunday in the park with George is one of those, it could have been an autobiography and you know, you're talking about an artist that is obsessive with the process of creation that he pushes away everyone around him. And um, you know, there's a, there's a great song in that piece called finishing the hat, which is all about watching the world go by from your window while you're, working on this thing, which may or may not be a success. You have no idea, but it's, it's right. one of those things where it's like, if you're, if you're an artist, if you're someone that creates, I mean, that's a song that, that cuts deep on you because everybody's kind of felt that way. And not just, not just the creative process. I think anything that you're passionate about, whether it's your job or um, a hobby or something like that, about letting, letting it almost take over your life in a way. And, you know, there's great stories about that song, about how, you know, they didn't really have that song, you know, um, as leading up to the opening night. This is a work in progress all the way up to opening night. And, you know, one night after rehearsal, he goes across the street from the theater to this bar and just starts playing this tune. And Manny Patinkin's there singing it. And, you know, everybody else is singing it, is, is there. 
Um, and they all say like, holy shit, this is like one of the greatest songs ever written. And he wrote the thing in like, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes. So um, he was, he, he, you know, and I think we, I think we throw around the word brilliant and genius too much, but he was, yeah. he was brilliant. He was a genius. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And there's only one of them. I and mean, I think when, when thing, when, when you're in an industry and you are the list, you are the one person that defines what you do. I mean, that's, that's a level of, of, you know, contribution that I can't even fathom. Um, you know, he's, he's inspired, you know, generations of songwriters and composers and lyricists, but, you know, no one has even come close to touching what he does um, mm -hmm. in the way that he did it. So it's just, it's one of those, things, you know, in the meantime, everybody's tried to replicate Rogers and Hammerstein or Angela Weber or, you know, right. Jonathan Larson and things like that, but nobody, you know, has really been able to put together something that, that is an homage to Sondheim that works. So um, yeah, it's just, right. and, and just to see the, the outpouring of tributes and the way that he was memorialized by the Broadway community. It just was one of those things was like, this, this is not an, this is not an everyday loss. This is the passing of an icon and um, deserves that iconic farewell. And so it was really great to see the community um, do the tributes that they did. And, you know, one thing that I really liked was how they, a lot of them posted the personal notes that he had sent them just like, two sentences like hey came to the show tonight great job steve and how just i mean yeah, not for nothing crazy. but he could have he could have written less than that to me he could have told me to go you know f off and i would have been like this is the greatest um you know yes look, look at the sticky life. note i got bros yeah like you would have been like yeah <laughs> i would have been like look at me um, <laughs> i would have framed it <laughs> but i mean it's just he was incredible so it, it's just it's a it's a in, you know, a huge loss, but the good news is, I mean, this guy put every bit of his, his person in his work. So it's like, if you want to know who Sondheim was and you want to remember what he, he was, just listen to what he produced because that's him on a, on a plate. And so um, that's what I really appreciated uh, about him as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so, you're, I think you're correct. I think you're correct about genius and, you know, we get thrown around, but you know, we're watching, you know, thank God for uh, Lin-Manuel, you know what I mean? Mm. Coming out with something as brilliant as Hamilton. Because before that, you could say for, like, decades, there hasn't been the new, like, Messiah or whatever. Like, the new, like, coming of someone that's brilliant. And thank God for him, like, putting everything in. And it seems like his career is just starting. Can't wait to see where he goes next, you know, with his, with his mm. uh, pieces that he's brought out. Like, you could see it in there. You know, him putting his own spin on musical theater and everything. And I hope he just keeps building on it and he has his own style. And I just hope he keeps going. And then, you know, for years from now, we're like, well, thank God we had him. You know, he's the right. number one now. Uh, but you, uh, until he gets a bunch under his belt, <laughs> like Sondheim. He's, he's got two, yeah. three at the most, if you want to count right. a couple of the shorter Ex pieces. Um, but I mean, well, he'll like, be the until first he gets go keeps going. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead. I was about to say no. Just he'll be the first one to say it though. Like he he said many occasions, like there is there is no me without Stephen Sondheim, and Sondheim would say, right, you know, there's there's no me without you know Oscar Hammerstein, and it's just this this pattern of composers taking young composers under their wing, mentoring them the right way. Um, that's a, that's a tradition, and 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 that I really hope never ends because you don't see that a lot. You don't see actors 
sometimes mentoring other actors the way that you would want. Uh, same thing for designers and things like that. But it's some reason that in the composer circle, you see a lot of that, which I think is great. Well, it's just like, you know, this documentary by the Beatles. Hopefully someone young watches this and goes, oh, you know, I, I, the reaction to the the Get Back documentary was really interesting. Just getting back to the creative process, not going back to that story was, you know, how much fun they were having. How much, you know, it wasn't them like, you know, uh, really just sitting there over a piece of paper like, oh, what's, uh, oh my God, what's Sweet Loretta's last name and Get Back? What is that? You know, like, and really struggling and going into this fugue. Like, they're just jamming with friends and just being like, Sweet Loretta Marsh? Is it Marsh? <laughs> like, and just messing around. Da, 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 sweet Loretta Marsh. Like, ah, oh, no, that's not it. Like, and like, hopefully a, a young person sees that and goes, wait, I can do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Or that seems very challenging or a challenge. Maybe my brain works like Paul McCartney. You know, it's kind of like getting a peek into that creative process. Like you said, when he would take someone under his wing is very important to the next generation. So, you know, mm -hmm. um, we're, this podcast is looking back, but we're also hopefully looking forward at the new generation that's going to be influenced by this stuff, dude. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. What else you got, my friend? All right. Uh, my number two. Oh, I got a, I got a bunch where I can go. Um, so, Chris, the baseball season's over. We got a couple mm -hmm. of baseball notes. I want to do a couple of baseball notes on you. Um, first of all, David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez among first timers on the Hall of Fame ballot. Mm. What are your thoughts on this? Oh my gosh! Um, now, David Ortiz for me. Ha Hall of Fame, Red Sox Hall of Famer, of course. Like he's in. Right. Retired his number. Yeah. Yeah, he's all set. Now, what are your thoughts on the main Hall of Fame? It's going to be tough. I, I, I think, think so. we've seen players before him that did not as you know. I mean, there you know Manny Ramirez did a lot of PEDs, so that was you know he's never going to get. So that's 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 done. No. But. I mean, Ortiz's name showed up on one report, but he never, you know, tested positive. Like, that was it. His name just showed up on a report. So, you don't, we never got that, like, you know, the Balco expose notebooks that we got on Giambi and A Rod and all these other guys. Um, so, I don't know if he is, is going to be held to the same um, standard. But the problem is, and again, this is why I hate baseball writers with a passion is that they're fickle number one and number two yeah. they vote based on assumptions which is why jeff bagwell hasn't gotten into the hall of fame because they just assume right. that he did stuff and it's like there's never been an ounce of proof of that so I, I i think it would be a travesty if he doesn't make it on his first year i definitely expect that he might be the one that like gradually gets closer every year then finally gets in but I think it's I think it's I a tough call on the first ballot. Yeah. Now, I'm just gonna put this out there because I live in Central New York. Cooperstown is very close to the uh, right. close to Central New York. Mm -hmm. There is a major bias here in New York. Um, for me, Derek Jeter getting in on the first Hall of Fame ballot. <laughs> this is coming from a Red Sox. Oh, man. Hot take. Here we go. Not that he doesn't deserve it, 
but I don't know if he deserves first first ballot Hall of Fame. Wow. Okay. And I feel like that's because of the bias that lives in New York State and the Hall of Fame uh, residing here. Mm-hmm. Because, it, Chris, if you, you know, you came to the Backroads Tavern with me and Katie, and if you were to go in there and say the word David Ortiz, they would, ah, uh, that effing cheater, F him, oh, yeah, help the, <laughs> the cheating Red Sox win the World Series, F them. And, of course, it's bitterness from 2004. Still, to this day, even kids that are, like, 20 years old, they have no idea what you're saying, they're still going to say those things that are just reverberated from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and I hate to say this, A-Rod's going to get in before David Ortiz. Whoa, now. Whoa, now. That would be terrible. Um, I, I feel like <laughs> that's going to happen. That's probably not that. I, listen, I, I, I have I have a picture of uh, a Rod slapping the ball out of a first baseman's hand because he's a big cheater. Um, Bronson Arroyo, like right in my basement, right here. Oh. Um, you can go see it. Um, it's one of my favorite signed photos from. I couldn't get a Rod to sign it. I have Bronson Arroyo to sign it. My grandfather got that for me for my birthday. Um, it's one of my favorite <laughs> favorite pictures ever. Um, now. That being said, I feel like it's not something I want to have happen. I feel like it's something that is going to happen because, listen, Mariano Rivera, first ballot, whatever it was, 99 points, totally valid, ultimate saver. I would love if he was on the Red Sox. You know, he's the mm-hmm. ultimate closer, rock and roll. He's the Sandman. I respect all the way. Right. Jeter on the first ballot. Okay. Yeah. That's a little, little bit more of an argument. Um and I think to your point yeah, on the I mean, first ballot. Yeah. Like I, I think there are players that, you know, have a certain status that, you know, when they get to be that first ballot, like it's, of course they're going to get it. Like Tony Gwynn, of course he was yeah. going to get on the first ballot. Right. Um, same thing with, with Mariana Rivera. Um, but the problem that you're seeing with now the crop coming into the play is this is, this is, these are guys that were, at the peak of the steroid issue. And, you know, and you're talking about guys that started hot and then inexplicably fell off, you know, a mountain basically in their careers. So here's, here's a short list of other guys that are eligible for the first time this year. You're talking about people like Carl Crawford and Ryan Howard and Tim Lincecum and Justin right. Morneau. Position players Posi- right. or, 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 or pitchers that are not like, the aces but like right i mean right. they're saying that you know guys like prince fielder and joe nathan might get in and i'm like oh my god like this is this just isn't good and it's one of those things where it's like if you if you want people to really put stock into the hall of fame it's not like you know if if a rod and david ortiz don't get in you just give it to the next guys behind them because then you're talking about you know, the, the AJ Prasinski's and the Jimmy Rollins of the world, which in no way, shape or form should they ever be Hall of Famers based on their careers. Right. And, and, um, and Fielder and um, the two guys that you, uh, uh, Fielder and, uh, and Carl Crawford and Ryan Howard. And Ryan right. Howard, like uh, they're Detroit Tigers. Like what? <laughs> I, I don't, Prince Fielder and Joe Nathan. Sorry, Joe Nathan. Joe Nathan. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like Joe Nathan I love baseball never... too, but. Right. Like Joe Nathan in his entire career was never 
even I think the top five closer uh, during any point in his no. career. Um, I mean, Papelbon's eligible this year. I will put Papelbon above um, Nathan, and I don't even think Papelbon should be a Hall of Famer because once he left the Red Sox, I don't Red think Sox, you should be. Just, and I'm a Red Sox stopped. fan. I don't think you should be. Like I, I feel like as him and Mo, they had some iconic closer games together. I, I, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And you know, baseball stories count a lot. You know what I mean? Like. If anything, David Ortiz should be in for, like, his clutch hitting. He's the most clutch hitter of all time. You can make an argument that he's the most clutch. Like, like literally, when you're standing in your backyard practicing on your tee when you're a kid, two outs, bottom of the ninth, down Mm -hmm. by two, guy on second. Like, you're saying these things out loud. He literally hit the ball that, like, won the game. Like, he... Like the pressure's on, and that guy did never back down. I like never how many how many three two balls did he follow off and then hit a double? It's like yeah. against Mariano Rivera, like the the ultimate closer. Like your chances of striking out against Mar- Mo was like ninety five percent. That's that's the argument for David Ortiz. My my hope is that he got caught pretty early on. I think it was like two thousand seven eight when like that stuff came out, and he. And, he ended up playing seven more seasons at a high level. So yeah. I'm hoping that that might, you know, sway. Like those. his last season is probably one of the greatest oh seasons of any athlete ever. Well, except for whatever Tom Brady's last season. We, we don't know if that's going <laughs> to, but um, <laughs> that guy's getting better every day. But uh, David Ortiz's last season, remember that last season? Oh, my God. It was incredible. He was, was a almost monster. Like we all kept saying, do you want to just come back for one more year? Like, you could do it. Like, he could probably, he could probably he jump ended, in right now and hit 250. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was he, he was hitting, like, home runs. I remember it was, like, an early month. Month of June, he had, like, 12 home runs or something. Like, you're like, he's 41 years old. Like, I'm 41 right now. I can't even, like, I don't know, swing my my uh, Android phone across the room. <laughs> right. Okay. Ben, I'm 40. <laughs> I'd be like, I oh, pulled, I tore my ACL throwing that phone across there. I, I pulled a muscle trying to scratch my back the other day in my arm. So that, that goes to show you how I'm doing. Um, I literally pulled my hamstring in June by sleeping. <laughs> like, not on it, just sleeping. I woke up. I was like, ah, what did I do? And I was I was on the DL for four to six weeks. <laughs> like, I didn't fall. There wasn't an event. I wasn't lifting a mini fridge or something like that. I literally oh just got God. up out of bed and was like, ah, my ankle kind of hurts. By the end of that work day, I couldn't walk for a month. <laughs> and this guy hit 12 home runs in one month. And I was like, what the fuck? What the so, heck? <laughs> but um, I don't know, Chris. In my feel, I mean, it's hard. A Red Sox fan. Maybe we need to have a Yankees fan on because – no, no, that's not. That's not getting no, crazy. No, let's not. Come on, now. <laughs> now, now we're just talking just, craziness. <laughs> I'm thinking of all of my people in my uh, wedding party coming up. They're all Red Sox fans, too. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, I can't even ask a personal friend. You know what? It's kind of awesome that no personal friends are big Yankees fans. Oh, you know, I okay, my coworker, Jason, I'll, I'll text him. I know there what he's going to say. I know what he, you know, I don't want to ask him. I know exactly what he's going to say. He's gonna, well, Dave Ortiz was caught just like A-Rod. I go, no, he wasn't. Oh, my God. Right. It's just going to make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if Jambi doesn't get in, Ortiz doesn't get in. You yeah, know, exactly. Oh, here we yeah. go. Yeah, here John. we go. Yeah. So, never mind. Um, ne- the only reason Jambi should be in the Hall of Fame is his mention in Moneyball. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's being like the Oscars. But I don't know, Chris. I just feel like there's a 
and that's my that's the hot take of the podcast. I believe I there's it. a New York Yankees. Well, I can't really say the New York Mets are biased because they live in no. New York, but there's a Yankees bias up here. Mm-hmm. And when you go to when you go to Cooperstown itself, Chris, you ever been to Cooperstown? Never been, my friend. Oh, next time you're up, we'll do a day trip. It's literally I was about to say. <clears throat> yeah, we'll do that. It, it, it'll yeah. be a blast. I mean, but there's a, a baseball court or a baseball clothing store called Mickey's Place. Mm. Um, but there's not a uh, Ted Williams store across the street. So I'm just saying that. Um, yeah, there yeah. is a bias up here. There's a lot of a lot of pinstripes. A lot of it's very pinstripey up here. Um, <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say. Good to know. Good to know. All right, man. Good. <laughs> so stuff. that's that's I'm yeah. So Chris, that's my second story. I just I, that's that I'm calling my shot, just like the babe. A Rod's getting in before David Ortiz. Not that it's something I do want to have happen, but I feel like the bias will make it happen. That's my a good second point. story. That's my hot take of the day. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Good stuff. I love it. Um, all right, for for my second story this week. Um, real quick, um, I just want to talk about Thanksgiving as a holiday, and um, it, right. it is next to Christmas. It's my second favorite holiday. I just love holidays that revolve around food first and foremost. Mm. Um, so ironically, I'm not a Halloween person, which revolves around candy, so that's kind of weird. But um, I love, I just love Thanksgiving. I, I I don't eat anything when I wake up. I pretty much fast the entire day to really make sure I load up and pass out in a food coma and things like that. But um, I want to talk about like <clears throat> kind of interesting thing, either Thanksgiving traditions or dishes that, you know, people make for the holiday that, that, you know, some people will be like, wait a second, they never seen people do that and things like that. And, um, you know, we went to, we went to my in-laws <clears throat> and um, God bless my, my mother-in-law. She, she cooked everything. Um, from scratch and she basically made enough food to feed an army and uh, it was great. And I, for some reason um, her, like she does this really weird thing with stuffing and she puts things that you don't normally get in stuffing. I mean, you know, things like fruit or um, you know, onions and, you know, potatoes. I mean, it's just, it's such an interesting blend, but I can't, I can't get enough of it. And she only serves it for Thanksgiving, which I hate because I'm like, I come here all the time and you, you have the nerve not to make me stuffing when I come over here. But I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if we're sitting down and, um, you know, we're passing the plates. I mean, people just know that like, Chris is going to take a while with the stuffing. Like he's going to get at least like four or five. (laughs) I need a moment over here. Yeah. yeah, I need a moment. (laughs) And then when you pour, I need a moment. When you pour the gravy on it, it's just like, oh, this is heaven. And, you know, it's interesting. I I grew up in an Italian household. So, like, in addition to the normal trimmings, I mean, we had lasagna. We had um, fish. One year we had steaks growing up. I mean, so we – it just seemed like a holiday growing up that was an excuse to just eat whatever you could and and just enjoy the family. But, Ben, I just wanted to kind of hear your Thanksgiving traditions. If if your family does anything – um, interesting food wise or traditional wise or, or any of that stuff. Uh, well, you know, Chris, this was like the first time seeing my extended family in two years, actually. Wow. And actually wow. uh, Katie got to meet them for the first time uh, this Thanksgiving. So this was 
it went extremely well. I knew she'd get along with everyone and they loved her. It was, it was great. Um, so that was the biggest part of this weekend was just, that went awesome. We had a blast. We stayed at Katie's sister's house and, uh, my future brother-in-law, Ryan, who's like a master chef. I'll, I'll actually have him listen to this podcast because I give him a shout out. Like he did a um, herb butter underneath the skin on his bird. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I wasn't there for the hot meal, but that's what I ate the rest of the weekend. So, Chris, <laughs> then I went to uh, my cousin Megan's, my second cousin Megan's house, Megan and Jordan's house. And... Um, he, uh, my uncle, my step uncle Jeff cooked all day. He cooked an amazing bird. This bird was crispy. I always do a leg. I like the dark meat. I go for a leg. I need a drum. So I, I rock that drum and I picked that drum bone dry. It was just down to the bone. It was great. Mm. Um, but Chris, let me tell you my favorite thing. Okay. My favorite thing about this weekend ever. And you know what? Like, you know how Lord of the Rings is your tradition on Black Friday? Yep. Yep. I might watch the new Peter Jackson trilogy every Thanksgiving weekend. Why not? Um, yeah. Because this is what I did, bro. Like, so Black Friday, Katie and Chrissy, they went out shopping. God bless them. And, you know, it's Connecticut, so it took them an hour to find a parking spot. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> I sat home and played Legos and ate. My favorite part of Thanksgiving is leftover turkey sandwiches. Ooh. Um, so this is what I do. This is the process. I get a, a nice fresh roll, either a dinner roll leftover from the actual meal or a new fresh roll. I cut that in half, mayonnaise, mayo all over that thing. Mm. Then we lay turkey strips on there. Then we salt or celery salt the turkey strips. Ooh, so celery okay. salt is what you put on stuffing. I might dig that a lot. And it's exactly like salt, but it's got that little celery bite at the end. Then you did stuffing, and then I did cranberry sauce on that thing. Dude. That's what I ate all weekend. I literally ate that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner one day. <laughs> and I sat there and watched the Beatles all trip to fanned out. I was like stoned off of turkey as like, Chris, did you get a sense that the Beatles were on substances during the uh, the making of the- A little the... bit. A little bit. Like, you, you, I, are, I got a little Are you going to die? Are you going to die? I think so. I think so. I'm a- uh... A bit of a, this is a true crime podcast. <laughs> a bit of a domestic situation is happening outside my door, folks. I'm staying in an extended hotel place, and I'm let's put it this way: I'm, I'm getting what I'm paying for, and uh, I'll just leave it. At that. You know, at least you heard it because that could have been a ghost voice, and I heard it, and you didn't. That'd be nuts. Yep, there you go. Um, oh. That's great, Chris. Um, anyway, so <laughs> my favorite part was eating like tryptophan all day. I mean, I was like in stoned zone and i like watching john lennon going like someone bring me my tea this tea takes my head off me shoulders and you're like what's in that tea are they are they pounding mushroom tea is that what's going on there was a couple moments where i was like are these guys stoned out of their faces and then the way he would cut it and they're making goofy faces at the camera i'm like i mean peter jackson what's uh chris you know i'm a drug and alcohol counselor so i'm always suspect of people but um does he smoke the hobbit's weed that makes him slow like is that what's going on with peter jackson is he Maybe. a giant stoner is that what's going on in new zealand they just just smoke weed what's the new zealand status of marijuana oh i'm gonna look that up while we're talking <laughs> I, I think it's i think you can you're you're just you're good to go like do you do you down there um 
Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, oh, no, it's, oh. Nice, 2020, legal. Oh, no. No, yeah. it's not. Oh, no. No, dude. Super illegal. <laughs> Whoa, it's super. Rejection of legalizing cannabis. Wow. Wow, okay. All right, well, well, Pete, keep that pro weed up down there. I I, th- <laughs> I got the sense that you couldn't cut those beetles together without smoking the ganj. I got a sense that there was a couple moments where like John's laughing. He's like, <laughs> and I felt like he was inside my head. And I was like, wait, <laughs> is it the tryptophan or is like John Lennon like talking to me right now? That's I don't know what was point. going on, but um, Chris, that was my favorite part of the weekend. I literally yeah. ate turkey. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner one day. Watch the Beatles. It was amazing, Chris. So that might be a new Ben Frawley tradition, dude. I'm just putting that out there. Playing Legos with the kiddos. Because it's kind of one of those docs you can kind of put in the background. Look up for the important parts and go back. So I think it was important that he released it on Thanksgiving weekend. There was something right. about that. It was perfect. So, um, But then I saw the family, Chris. That's my favorite. Uh, my mom makes a sweet potato and apple kind of casserole thing, which is dope. It's really good. Um, what's your favorite meal? What's your favorite food on Thanksgiving, Chris? Stuffing? Oh, my gosh. Stuffing, but like – Stuffing again. with uh, a sausage in it or no? Oh, that's – no. It doesn't – it didn't have sausage in it. But um, – Have you ever yeah, had that? Love, I've had it before. It's delicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, like, I like a good turkey though. I mean if the turkey's cooked well and it's not dry, like gravy's really flavorful and things like that, that's, that's the best. And um, – yeah, no, it's interesting. Like the not to not to insult my family, but like the best Thanksgiving meal I ever had was actually at Disney World. Um, there's a restaurant in the Magic Kingdom, and it's called the Liberty Square Tavern, and it's like right across from where the Haunted Mansion is. And they do oh, a yeah. Thanksgiving dinner every day, so you go in there, and they're just serving Thanksgiving dinner, and it's. Like, whoa, whoa, I don't know that. Wait, whoa, 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 time out. Wait, I didn't know that. Wait, is that yeah. new? No, it's been around for a while. It's been around for a while. We've gone there a couple of times. And um, yeah, they just awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. And I once asked the waiter, I was like, do you guys get tired of this? He's like, no, it's great. Because it's where else are you going to get this quality of, of Thanksgiving dinner like in July? And I'm like, you're absolutely right. And it, yeah, no, why, no why joke. isn't that caught on? Why right? isn't someone like branched that out? That's a like Boston Market was the closest thing to that, but that was chicken. I want turkey here, right? I want turkey. Yeah. So it's and it's family style. So they bring out like these gigantic plates of everything. And it was, it is no joke, the best Thanksgiving dinner that I think we ate in August um, there. Wow. So yeah. Now, Chris, you know what I did? So I, co- I started a new tradition the Beatles and tryptophan. <laughs> Tripping on tryptophan. That might be my new Beatles I love Thanksgiving it. tradition. Yeah. Now, another thing um, is, uh, Chris, you know how I've been posting on uh, the Facebook how I've been smoking on the Weber Grill, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to have a podcast on my favorite recipes pretty soon. I'm, I'm trying to compile them. Maybe I'll do, like, my best Weber Grill recipe of the year for my uh, superlatives. But uh, what I did is my favorite, like, I, I've never had the need to do this, but we have a deep freezer down in the basement. And I went out yesterday and I got two 50 cents a pound turkeys. These birds, 27 pounds, 
for fourteen dollars. <laughs> oh, even better, even better. So I'm I got them in the deep freezer. I'm gonna thaw those out or one of them out in like the spring. Maybe do one in the summer or fall next year, like when football starts. I'm gonna smoke the shit out of it. That's my new tradition. Wait till the week after Thanksgiving and just rock it, dude. So that's Perfect. there you go. That was like my favorite part of the weekend. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, what do you got for number three this week? Number three is something I have to talk about. So, Chris, I get the um, I don't have the cable, so I use the uh, NBC, Fox apps, uh, and CBS app, Paramount Plus, to watch football on Sunday. Okay, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, usually Paramount Plus, I watch some of the Star Trek shows. I think I talked about that in the past. They're pretty good, but um, I got to talk about a show that's on there. And remember how I talked about that White Lotus show? How when you see something that's like prestige TV that you know is going to be Emmy nominated, like great acting, great writing. I feel like I'm watching another one. It might be. I, I'm going to call my shot on this show. I kind of, I really like it. You know, I love the crime dramas. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, have you heard about Mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner? Yes. Yep. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't yet. No. Worth a watch. I I mean, the, the, the jury's still out. I, I, I'm. It's only four episodes in. They're releasing them once a week, so you can't binge the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I think they got something going here. And I was telling Katie, like, I was like, it reminds me of, first of all, it reminds me of Sunders of Anarchy. And the way that um, any show about crime, it's never easy. It's never like, oh, we robbed the bank. Let's split the money, and then we'll talk in four years. It's never, <laughs> It never works out like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, that bank that you hit last week. The cartel owns that, so you got to pay those guys. Like it's like it's like a Grand Theft Auto game where it's like you do a mission, but then you you got to meet this guy and pay this guy. It's it's a nightmare. You got to get guns from this guy, paint your car over here. It's always a nightmare. Um, this show is the same way. Um, the show features Jeremy Renner um, as quote the mayor of Kingstown, and it's a really cool show, and it takes place in Kingstown, Michigan. And instantly, I had to Google if this place was real. Mm-hmm. It's um, at the beginning. I love Chris, as you know. I love all shows and movies with an opening crawl, right? Whether yep. it be Star Wars or whether it be the movie Cobra, I love the opening crawl. I love it's like a, a crime is committed every twenty seconds in LA County. I, I love <laughs> any kind of crawl at the beginning. And so, this show takes place in a town. That has seven prisons inside of it. Mm. So that's the premise of the show. The premise of the show is you have a town that its only economy is parole officers, COs, cops, criminals, or people on parole and their families. And it makes such an interesting dynamic. It was developed and the first episode is directed by uh, Antoine Fakwa, the guy that did uh, Training Day. Um, so it has that gritty gray area vibe. So cool. Um, right off the bat, you get a, a, I hope they, they do right by this show. You get that Kurt Sutter sons of anarchy feel. I hope they just keep developing it. It's a great first episodes. I'm all in Chris. High, high, high recommendations by this guy. I'm going to come back for a second season. I'm only on episode four, so I can't wait to see. It's really cool to see Jeremy Renner do something more than Hawkeye. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which a character I appreciate, but I don't know. I just like the runner. I just feel like between this and the Hawkeye show, we're in a renaissance right now. So I love it. 
I can't wait to see where we go. So that is my Chris. Do you have any uh, new shows that you're kind of hoping they're really good that you're kind of like betting on right now? That's a great question. Um, I I kind of again, it's one of those like I'm I'm living by myself for a little bit in in the deep south here in Georgia. So I've got plenty of time on my hands um, to, yeah. to kind of dig in. And one thing I've started to digging into um, is the original animated series of of Cowboy Bebop. And um, the reason I'm doing it is because they just released this new live action version of it, which I have yet to check out, but it's getting, you know, mixed reviews. Um, but I, I just yeah. have no knowledge of the characters. So I've kind of gone back and I'm loving it. Like it's, it's a great show. It, it, it dives into so many different genres from film noir to comedy, yep. to action, to drama. So it's, it's, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm really digging that. Um, I've also gotten back into Narcos, which um, I haven't really watched the new season yet, dude. Oh, that's on my to-do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I finished it. It was amazing. Um, oh fuck, I love that's that a show, show that. Oh, it's so good. And um, I actually went back. I went all the way back and started rewatching the very first season all over again, um, just because I. No, I you didn't. I dude, did. No, that. Oh, dude, I I need to do that because it must have been amazing to see Pablo, the guy that plays Pablo. Oh, he's incredible. In that show, is so incredible. <laughs> I don't care what that guy does for the rest of his life, uh, but he'll always be Pablo Escobar to me. <laughs> oh no, he's he's good. Like he's he's good to go. Um, so that's that's really awesome. And yeah, that's that's really the the things that I've been kind of checking out. And um, you know, then um, Succession on on HBO Max um, yep. is is okay. It's it's not. I you know maybe it's a hot take. I don't I don't think the season has been incredible yet, oh. but, um, I, I know. didn't watch this new season, but that's a hot take, but I'll definitely check out Narcos. I watched the first episode of Cowboy Bebop. I remember watching, cause I think I've talked on the show about Ghost in the Shell and how that's one of those yeah. animes. I'm not a big anime person, but that show Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. If you can find those for like five bucks somewhere, buy them and just watch them. It's great stuff. It gets you in that weird anime fantasy stuff good stuff and i checked out cowboy bebop because i think it's from the 90s i think it's like an old school manga mm -hmm. um, i remember watching a couple episodes remember like it was cool it was funny it was weird um and at least i watched the first episode of the live action at least that one i love um cal pen or is it no wait um john chow john, john chow, chow. Yeah. sorry i always mess up harold and kumar uh, <laughs> john chow he is phenomenal as the main character. So I think they did good as far as the first episode. We'll see how far they take it. But yeah, um, I, yeah I, you know, it's so weird. Even though we don't talk about these things, Chris, it's weird that we check out the same things. Right. Like like we have our own internal algorithm. Exactly. I was about to say we're <laughs> in each other's heads. I love it. I love it. Um, anyway, awesome. That's my second take. So uh, Mayor of Kingstown, check it out. Runner is awesome in the show. It's just – I. Um, here's my take, Chris. I love any show or movie where you're just watching someone do their job. Mm, I don't care if they're a bank robber, if they're a therapist, or they're like dealing with criminals and cops in the in this shitty Kingstown town. I love it when you're just watching someone unemotionally just take care of their job and just get pissed off at the thing that <laughs> the job that pisses them off, but they have to do it because they're working. I can watch someone just work. I, I don't care if they're a mason or they're a weed farmer in California. If they're just <laughs> working, I just love, are they called procedurals? Like law and order? I just mm -hmm. love like Benson and Stabler doing their job. I just love watching them doing their job. And so Mayor of Kingstown just is like, 
itching that scratch, just like uh, Jack's Teller. Like, I just love someone ahead of a biker club. Like, uh, all right, what are the responsibilities of that? And what are the pitfalls of that? Like, I just love right. watching someone like, right. I just love shows that are just like, all right, we're just going to take this job. And like, what are the nightmares of this job? What are the good things of this job? And so mm-hmm. that's what Mary Kingstown does for me. So Chris, take it away. That's my second story or my last story of the day. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, for my third um, district real quick too. I mean, enough said. I mean, South Park is back and, um, Ooh. I've heard yeah, grumblings. So I've heard it. I've heard it. We've had a little grumblings out there. And this is uh, kind of their new deal with Peacock Plus. Um, not Peacock, excuse me, Paramount Plus. And uh, basically Paramount Plus signed them for something, some preposterous number. It was like 100 million. I think it was more than that. Um, oh, I didn't realize that, Chris. That oh, might yeah. be like breaking news. I didn't know that. So they're, they're going to do at least five more seasons of it. And then this Whoa. is the this is the exciting part. They're going to do 14 original movies for Paramount Plus. And um, wait, 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 time out, time out. Uh, yeah. Wait, time out. All right, time out. Matt Stone and Trey Parker or South Park? Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Like they're going to do four or South Park. They're going to do 14 original South Park movies. You're just blowing my mind off right now, dude. <laughs> right. So um, the first one actually premiered this past week on Paramount Plus, like literally the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, it was up on their site streaming and it's obviously glorious and it's taking a whole new direction in a way. And I don't, again, I don't, I really don't want to say anything about it. So I don't want to spoil it for people. So. Cause I'm going to go upstairs and watch it right now. Like I'm going to watch wait. it right now. <laughs> um, it's, it's what they call their post COVID special. And um, it is, it is <laughs> money. Uh, they just, the jokes land. It's everything you want South Park to be. Um, and so if this is what they're doing for the next, 13 original movies which again when i say movie it, it's an hour long so you're not talking about a two and a half oh, okay. hour film but, okay um i gotcha but still that's a long like, cartoon <laughs> it's a long cartoon and they're just they're doing amazing stuff so if you love south park this is definitely get on this it's not going to be it's it's not going to be on comedy central anymore that's that's over so um you got to get paramount plus to, to to see these things so um yeah, but it's it's awesome. So again, South Park, they geniuses. Again, we throw that word around a lot, but they are comedic geniuses, and um, it's just such a welcomed, you know, presence back in my life to just laugh at the most inappropriate things imaginable. But you just you need to you need to have that in your life. So um, I love it. Yes. Good stuff, man. Awesome. Good bro. stuff. Awesome. Let's get into YouTube, my friend. Let's do it. So all right, what do you got this week? All right, so like I said, um, you can go on YouTube and look up the Peter Jackson, Stephen Colbert interview. It's great. After you watch the doc, I, I encourage after you watch it, you can airspice it because there's not like spoilers or anything like that. But they kind of hit upon like the most important parts. So I'd watch the documentary first. It was cool watching this in that order because then Peter Jackson talks about why he chose to leave this part in because he's mm-hmm. dealing with 57 hours of footage. So he's like, Stephen Colbert is like, how do you... Stephen Colbert is like, I'd watch all of it. I, I don't care. Like, I'll watch all 57 hours. And, and like, Peter Jackson's like, I know. It was kind of great. <laughs> but I had to cut it down into a story. And so he talks about why he left this part in, why he cut this part out. It was really cool. Um, so I've been liking a lot of music on here. Uh, Chris, do you know the artist Thundercat? I've heard of them. Or heard of him. Her, yeah. I, I know the name. I just, I, yeah. Yeah. So Thundercat is a uh, bassist out of L.A., and he is 
a phenon, almost like Les Claypool of Primus. You know what I mean? Like a, a virtuoso on bass. Yeah. But he plays bass, and his appearance is nuts. Like he he has like dyed orange dreadlocks. He wears a Goku, a blinged out uh, chain necklace made of golden diamonds. And then he wears like the Dragon Ball Z shorts while he's playing. <laughs> so um, he was on the Stephen Colbert show. Apparently, I'm plugging Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert right. has me in his algorithm. As I was um, say. Yeah. So last week, he was on Stephen Colbert with uh, Jean Baptiste, the, the guy that is uh, a Baptiste, the guy that is Stephen Colbert's band leader from New Orleans. He, um, they played Dragon Ball Durag, one of Thundercats' songs. And uh, like, the thing I love about Thundercat is he's irreverent. He he's a master musician. He could be composing symphonies. He could be making musicals. He could be composing music for movies. Instead, he makes songs called Dragon Ball Do Rag. And when you see the video, like the main video, you're like, okay, it's pretty funny. But when you see this live version with John Baptiste, it is um, you can see his hands move on the bass like a master musician. He moves so fast. Mm-hmm. but he sings in this high falsetto and he talks about like my favorite so- line in the song is um i may be covered in cat hair but i smell good like i don't know what that means <laughs> um so he'll just say random stuff in the song and you'll pick up on it it's great so thundercat and then um there's another video with him and um oh my god wait hold on it's him with okay I can't believe I them changes. There's a song called "Them Changes." Oh, with uh, I couldn't think of it. Ariana Grande. Ariana mm, Grande. Okay. Um, and that was during the Adult Swim Festival last year. I think I mentioned it because it was during COVID, and uh, Adult Swim had a festival and they had them live. But they have Meatwad dancing behind them while they play the song "Them Changes." So great. So check out Thundercat. He's putting out great content on YouTube for cool, funny videos. But then also he's a master musician. That's my YouTubing for the week, buddy. Love it. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, my YouTubing is actually kind of interesting. It's this channel called Mav, M-A-V, and it's really just a guy. And what he does are these really cool videos where, you know, the title is like camping in my truck in negative 40 degree weather or making, you know, smoked salmon in a cardboard box in, you know, subthermic temperatures and things like that. And I don't know why he does these things. I mean, it, I, I don't know if he's homeless and this is what he does. Or like, he's, he's just been so sick. I mean, he's got over a million followers, so maybe he's just successful enough that he can do this as his job. But, I mean, these videos are like 10-plus minutes long, and you're just watching this guy survive elements in his truck. And it's Smoking it's, salmon in a cardboard box? This looks right. nuts. <laughs> it's fascinating. And, and, like, he does these, like – and I don't, I don't want to say survivalist because that's not really what it is because, like, he has right. the means to get whatever he needs. But, like, it's just, like, living on the road. Um, and it's, it's like, oh, my God, like, this is what you do to, to basically last the night in these temperatures. But it's fascinating. So, um, like, one, there's one that he, he made, like, this chowder in a bread bowl. And, but it was like, you know, you know, less than, you know, minus 20 or something like that. So oh, yeah, I'm looking at the, watch the pictures. Oh my God. Yeah. So he's a really cool dude. Um, so I want to give him a plug and, and if you, if you love camping, if you love the outdoors, I guess, like this would probably be right up your alley. 
uh, if you if you live in cold temperatures, probably right up your alley because you know what this guy is going through. And um, it's just awesome. So yeah, just really interesting long form videos that you know you, you can't really take your eyes off because you're just watching this guy battle the elements all night. So um, high, highly recommend. Excellent. You know, I just sent that to a couple friends that are outdoorsy people. That oh, that's so the kind of thing that I could see them wicked. You know, they're fishermen and hunters. Oh my god, they would love that. Oh, that's they're awesome. Gonna, they're gonna dive in. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, good stuff, man. Awesome, uh, so bro. This awesome. Is a, this was great. This is gonna wrap us up for this week. Uh, folks, hey, Chris. Kind of, wait, yeah, wait. Before we go, wait. Hold Please. on. Hold on. I'm so glad you didn't get murdered. <laughs> Me too. I'm glad we finished this podcast. <laughs> now. now Again, like I have to make it through the night. So yeah, I know, is, but I mean, odds at this point, it's pretty good. Eight twenty. I mean, or nine twenty where you are. It's quiet. Yeah, it's fine. It's quiet. So I think we're good. I think we're good. Um, but if you don't, if you don't hear from me ever again, this has been a phenomenal podcast. I'm glad. It was glad a good last one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We talked about, about the Beatles. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a good note to go out on. Exactly. Exactly. All right, folks. We'll see you next week right here on Desperately Seeking Entertainment.